Welcome to the Living Life Well Show, the intersection of God's Word, today's science, and healthy living with common sense application, all based on the truth of the Word of God. I'm your host, Dr. John Skelton. Now let's get straight to the truth. Welcome to the Living Life Well Show. I'm so excited to be with you today because today we're talking about something that's near and dear to my heart and really the whole impetus as to why we even have the Live Life Well Clinic and this Living Life Well Show. It's diabetes reversal. You know, it, it was said in the past that marijuana was kind of the gateway drug. If we take that same analogy, I think diabetes is the gateway disease, the gateway disease to high blood pressure, to kidney dysfunction, to a heart attack, stroke, all those things. And so I think really attacking your diabetes and reversing it is going to be huge. And we're going to talk a, a little bit about the conventional ways to do that that are out there right now. And then maybe more, quite honestly, God's way to do it. And so we'll talk about what strategies you can employ, the benefits and drawbacks to both. And then we'll kind of uh, get down to some real practical steps and things that you can start looking at and implementing for yourself. But let's kind of talk why I am so excited about this. It's because I've really seen a lot of success with the ways that uh, we choose to go about attacking this problem. And we'll get into that more with some real world examples, just of a, a couple of clients that I've had just in the past even a uh, few months. But with that being said, let's go ahead and get started. So the American Diabetes Association estimated in 2021 that about 38 million Americans or roughly about 12% of people in America had diabetes. And so what happens with diabetes is you actually have it for a while, typically, before it's diagnosed. It's kind of one of those things that you don't necessarily realize is there. You're maybe a little bit more fatigued, maybe noticing some increased urination or increased thirst, but that is kind of a later sign. You typically go along with increasing blood sugars for quite a while before you even necessarily realize that there's something underlying going on. And so the big issue with diabetes is people really define it as a blood sugar problem. And it is, but the underlying issue is that your body is still making insulin. Insulin is what is driving that blood sugar into the cells for the body to use. The problem really is that you have developed insulin resistance. It isn't that your pancreas isn't working anymore. Your pancreas is still pumping out insulin necessary to get the glucose into the cells, but your body no longer responds to it as it should. And so there's a lot of reasons for insulin resistance, and we'll get into some of that today. So I hope you're excited, and let's just jump right in. So I mentioned pre-diabetes, and actually in that 38.4 million that we're talking about with diabetes, that actually doesn't include the pre-diabetics. Pre-diabetics have yet to meet the criteria to where we say that their hemoglobin A1c is high enough to call them diabetics, but is 
over what is considered normal. So if you're between 5.6 and 6.4, that would be kind of the pre-diabetes range. If you're over 6.4, then we consider you to be diabetic. You're considered in remission if your blood sugar is with a hemoglobin A1C of 6.5 or less, but still higher uh, than the 5.6. So with pre-diabetes in 2021, the ADA estimated that there's about 97 million Americans with pre-diabetes. So these are people with elevated blood sugars but not to the level to where it's brought that A1C to that threshold to be diagnosed with diabetes. Well, why is that important? Because just like marijuana going from marijuana to cocaine or any other kind of drug, once you have prediabetes, unless you have a significant intervention, you're going to go to diabetes. It is a slope that is going to continue unless you put in a big disruptor to stop. It is just going to keep that insulin resistance going. And so one of the articles that I wanted to get was from the UCLA School of Medicine and this Dr. Duru about insulin resistance. And what he says is when cells are resistant, it takes more and more insulin to get them to open. And then at some point, the insulin stops working on the cells at all. It would be really like, revving up the revolutions per minute in your car just to get it to move, wearing down the engine in the process. And I think that's a, a really good analogy because what is going on with diabetes and uh, insulin resistance really, and a lot of the drugs that are manufactured are just trying to rev up that pancreas more and more. They're trying to get it to produce more to move along at the same speed, if you will. And so his analogy with a car would be very similar to what you're seeing with diabetes. As you kind of go along, it takes more and more to get you moving, to get that blood sugar moving down in the direction that we want it to go and actually getting it into the cells to be utilized by your body. So that's essentially what diabetes is. That's what pre-diabetes is. I suggested that there are some significant interventions that you can do to stop that progression, that movement from pre-diabetes to diabetes. If you are diagnosed as a diabetic, a hemoglobin A1C that is 6.5 or higher, then there is hope. There is a way to reverse it. You don't really hear about this quite often. And I would like to read a, a quote from an article that showed up in uh, Nutrients in 2019. It was entitled uh, Reversing Type 2 Diabetes, a Narrative Review of the Evidence. And so one of the initial paragraphs reads as this. Despite the growing evidence that reversal is possible, achieving reversal is not commonly encouraged by our healthcare system. In fact, reversal is not a goal in diabetes guidelines. Specific interventions aimed at reversal all have one thing in common. They are not first-line standard of care. This is important because there is evidence suggesting that standard of care does not lead to diabetes reversal. This raises the question of whether standard of care is really the best practice. 
a large study by Kaiser Permanente found a diabetes remission rate of 0.23%. I'm going to repeat that. 0.23% reversal of diabetes with standard of care. The status quo approach will not reverse the health crisis of diabetes. And so there you go. So that is a very poignant statement as to why it is a slippery and continual slope going from prediabetes to diabetes. Quite honestly, the treatments that we have are just slowing down the process. They aren't helping to get you back to where you need to be. So if all we're doing is slowing down the inevitable, is that really treatment? Is that really a standard of care? I I would submit to you that it's not and that it needs to change. Now, having said that, what this means is if you're not going to do standard of care, which would be typically metformin, then going on to some other medication like Glibiride or a GLP-1, if you wanted to get uh, really much more radical that would be kind of the standard of care. The the education on lifestyle and the interventions that you could do and what foods are hurting and helping and what other underlying issues could be going on as to why you even have diabetes is never even discussed with you. It's never even brought forth to the forefront of any kind of possibility for change or doing anything different. And the the three options that I'm really going to be talking to you about today, they're all radical when you look at it in comparison to what is considered the standard of care, which really is no care because only 0.23% of people are reversing their diabetes. If you want to reverse your diabetes, the bottom line is this, you've got to get radical. Just doing what your doctor says and taking your medications is not going to do it. That's not enough. You have got to get radical. Each one of these possibilities of treatment involve potentially radical changes to your lifestyle and the way you go about living each and every day. They all have benefits. They all have drawbacks. And so we're going to discuss all three of those. So let's start with probably the most radical from a physical standpoint, which is going to be bariatric surgery. So bariatric surgery is a very good option for reversing diabetes. Bariatric surgery can result in a 60 to 70% reversal in those that choose to go that route. What we see with bariatric surgery is right away after that, you're going to see improvements in your blood glucose and your insulin sensitivity. You're also going to see changes in your abdominal hormones that are being released, like uh, ghrelin and leptin. You also see changes to the response to GLP-1, as well as many others, which result in that decreasing insulin sensitivity so that your body responds. These changes in these hormones now allow your body to respond to the insulin that you're secreting in an appropriate manner. And so the glucose is now delivered into the cells. The other thing that's postulated that's really occurring with this, you know, alteration 
of your gut with bariatric surgery is that it really is changing the microbiome in your gut. And we know that microbiome is very important. And so you have an obesogenic microbiome for most people that have diabetes, and then you have a lean microbiome as well. And so when you go through this radical alteration with the surgery, and really this was looking at a a kind of an older surgery that isn't performed quite as much now, um, it it really can change the the way that uh, makeup of your microbiome looks. And so it can then result in improvements. Now, I postulate that it's not the surgery itself that is resulting in the, the microbiome changes, but it is a result of how and what you are eating that is resulting in that change. Because you see, when you go through a surgery like this, whether it's a gastric sleeve, whether it's an older surgery, like a Ruin Y and gastric bypass, you are not going to be able to eat the same. There's going to be significant consequences to going off script on the bariatric diet. And so people learn this, unfortunately, the hard way, because they pay consequences with abdominal pain, uh, vomiting, lots of reflux type symptoms. And with these surgeries, you have to eat differently. And so you're typically eating a lot smaller meals. And for many people, they're doing a lot more fasting as well. And so the success rate at about five years, if somebody just does the gastric sleeve, about 37% of people reverse their diabetes, have continued to reverse their diabetes at five years. If you do that older surgery, the Roux-en-Y gastric bypass surgery, that's a little bit higher. It's a little bit better. It's at 45%. You have taken drastic action. You have had a surgeon come in and perform uh, a significant surgery on you. Anytime you disrupt the God-given architecture in your peritoneum or where all your abdominal organs are kept, you run the risk of then developing secondary problems like bowel obstruction. But obviously, there could be an issue with the surgery itself. Again, very rare. Surgeons are very competent. Most of the bariatric surgeons that have been performing these surgeries for quite a while have it down very well, and they have very good success rates with low complications. However, complications do occur. And those complications can be from a leaking of the anastomosis, a perforation of of the bowel, necessitating further surgery and or infection, further hospitalization, and those things. Again, those are very, very rare. Much Those side effects from the surgery are much more rare than, than one of the other options that we'll talk about. But the big thing with bariatric surgery is now your stomach and your upper GI tract are completely altered in the way that they are functioning because you have uh, now taken a portion of that and bypassed it, right? And so you're not using your entire stomach. You're not using all that area that, that God made to be able to digest the food properly and make sure that it gets in. So when you go off script and start eating too much or the wrong things, when you have healed from bariatric surgery, you can start expanding that. 
And so you can then go off script and, and not be one of the 37 or 45 percent of people that are able to reverse their, their diabetes. The bariatric surgery, again, it's, it's pretty successful, right? I mean, 40 to 45 percent being able to re reverse their diabetes compared to with 0.23% of somebody doing standard care. I would consider that a tremendous success from that standpoint. So yes, bariatric surgery absolutely has its place. So the next thing I wanted to cover is the GLP-1. So the GLP-1s, we, we covered quite a bit with regards to mechanism action and what they do on one of the previous episodes when we talked about weight loss. And those same principles and things apply here when we're talking about diabetes. If you want to have more of that information, I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. I believe it's 8.1. It's the, the, the first installment of episode eight. What we want to cover with the GLP-1s in this is their success rate. And then go over, again, those, those benefits and, and those things. So GLP-1s for diabetes have been out for a while now, but there's not any really long-term studies like we have going on right now with bariatric surgery and, and diet and lifestyle intervention quite as much. But we do have some, some good data. Looking at semiglutide, you know, really patients who were able to achieve a greater than 10% reduction in their body weight at 68 weeks was about 45%. When we see that somebody loses about 25 pounds or so, that's kind of where we're really going to start seeing that number come down with the hemoglobin A1C and getting closer to that 6.5. Now, granted, it all depends on where you started. Hemoglobin A1C of 12 or, you know, 15, but lose 25 pounds is not going to come down uh, to that. So it, it's going to uh, be case dependent. But in general, when we see about a 10%, you know, body mass reduction, then that is a good predictor of what is going to happen with diabetes reversal. And it was. And the proportion of people who took it for the 68 weeks uh, that they did the study, showed that 67.5 or a little over two-thirds achieved a hemoglobin A1C of less than 6.5. So they went into diabetes remission. And so they basically rival a gastric bypass and, and even improve it maybe a little bit at about the one-year mark. And so this is a little over a year. Obviously, we don't have uh, two and five-year studies that are real great to tell us for certain how effective these are going to be long-term. The issue with the GLP-1s is, much like I discussed last time, is that you are really talking about up to a 50% rate of significant side effects. And so me being an ER doctor, that's what I see all the time in the ER is I see lots and lots of patients that are suffering the side effects of these GLP-1s, be it abdominal pain, be it gastroparesis, be it constipation with the pain, be it vomiting, be it diarrhea. And what I specifically see in most of my diabetic patients that have been on these GLP-1s is unrelenting diarrhea, diarrhea that ends up keeping you at home and away from living life. And the other thing is, is that 
these GLP-1s, especially if you're one of the 50% that are having symptoms with it, the studies do show that if you go off of the GLP-1s, the weight's coming back, guess what? So is the diabetes because your hemoglobin A1C is going to rebound as well. So the GLP-1s are very successful with what they do. But remember, the GLP-1s are essentially causing you to eat less and causing you to fast. And it may be at the expense of how your gastrointestinal system operates long term. So to me, that's a consequence that really needs to be put forth and considered strongly before you ever look at doing a, a GLP-1. Because once you're on it, you're on it. So you have to continue those dietary and lifestyle changes by yourself if you choose to go off of the GLP-1. At the Live Life Well Show, we want you to truly live life well. To that end, we have a special limited time offer exclusively for our podcast listeners. We are offering our 90 days to begin Living Life Well course and membership to you for just $75 a month. The 90 Days to Begin Living Life Well course takes you through weekly email and video instructions, as well as weekly assessments in all three areas of health, body, mind, and spirit. We also provide Konia, our community of like-minded people all on their own journey to living life well. In Konia, you and I will interact through regular Q&As as well as with special guests and content exclusive to the Konia community. In addition, you will have the opportunity for one-on-one -on -one coaching with me and my team. If this appeals to you, scan the QR code so you can get started living life well. Diet and lifestyle changes. So to me, this is the best option. It doesn't require uh, potential bad outcomes associated with surgery. It isn't a forced diet change and the consequences that can come if you go off that diet. The GLP-1s, again, you know, they work. And for those patients that don't suffer the consequences of the GLP-1 side effects, great. But again, it's a one and two, and they tend to not always show up with these consequences, specifically the diarrhea, for usually several months into the treatment aspect of it. I prefer the diet and lifestyle aspects because, again, if you choose that you don't want to do the diet and lifestyle things, you can go to one of these other two. They are always a backup for you. But once you've gone to one, you're kind of stuck there because you're not going to have your gastric bypass reversed. Okay. Once you're on the GLP 1, either you're staying on the GLP-1, or you've got to go back and now institute these diet and lifestyle changes. That's why I think really the key is starting with the diet and lifestyle change. So what is the success rate really when we're talking about these diet and lifestyle interventions? So with regards to the diet and lifestyle aspects, there was a great study done that is called the DIRECT trial. It's the Diabetes Remission Clinical Trial. And basically what they did is they took diabetics that had been diabetics for six years or less, and they enrolled them into two arms directed at diet and lifestyle intervention versus standardized care. So 
The results of the study show that at two years, 36% of the people that were on the diet and lifestyle interventions reversed their diabetes and, and kept it reversed. And so that really kind of rivals at the five-year mark what you're seeing with the, the bariatric surgery. And the interventions that they employed were really to, to get the patients to, to be reversed. We're about three to five months. And so that's really what I see in my practice. I, I've had patients go from an 11.7 hemoglobin A1C to down to below seven in really just five months. I've had another recent client just in the last couple of weeks that took their hemoglobin A1C from 8.8 .8 down to 6.5. And, you know, both are having more energy, sleeping better, feeling better than they have in years. Even the, the client that dropped from 8.8 .8 to 6.5 is at a weight that, that they haven't been at since 1986. There really can be some simple diet and lifestyle interventions that can give profound results and really can be lasting. And I have created a bit of a success formula, I think, for you to really be able to employ this for yourself. But first, I want to talk about kind of the obstacles to achieving success and achieving rapid success like the two clients that I just described to you have achieved. And a couple of those obstacles can be your time since diagnosis. So when I have patients that have been diagnosed with diabetes or prediabetes 10 years or less, that success rate is very, very good. Over 10 years, it is variable, okay? Because as that, that description of that pancreas kind of wearing out a little bit with the description of the, the car, the RPMs revving and revving and revving and, and still not really moving that blood sugar down because of that insulin resistance there, then you're going to see that as you progress in diabetes. However, my client that I was just telling you about that, that went from an 8.8 .8 to 6.5 in three months they have had diabetes more than 10 years. It is absolutely possible, but time since diagnosis is going to be part of the issue. Other things that we'll see is if people have had issues, especially with their heart function or their kidney function, those people are going to be less successful in getting to a remission state, okay? Now, they absolutely will get benefit from all these interventions I'll, I'll kind of describe here to you, but the, the rate at which they're going to see improvement and the level of potential improvement may not be such that they get completely to remission. It also depends on where they're starting from. That's another big key. Kind of depends on where your hemoglobin A1C is right now as to how quickly we're going to be able to get you into remission. And then Finally, and this is the biggest thing, and this is with the bariatric surgery as well, it's your willingness to do the work. I'm not going to lie. These answers that I have for you are not super complicated, but it is definitely living differently than the world. And as Christians, that's what we're called to do. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. And so I would challenge you that what I am asking you to do with these interventions is 
really live that out in your daily life. And it is, while the answers are easy, it is difficult to be different and to do things differently than the way you've always done them. So let's kind of get into what I think are the keys for you to have success, okay? Number one, you need to get a physician or a qualified medical professional that is willing to help you with this, that understands diabetes reversal and can help you come off of medications and or switch medications, lower those doses. If you are on insulin or you are on any type of oral medication, you cannot start a reversal of your diabetes without having a physician on board that is monitoring you and helping guide you through that process. That's going to be number one. Number two, get a continuous glucose monitor. Insurance will pay for it, generally speaking. The reason that I like to have that continuous glucose monitor, instant feed. Because you eat something and you're going to see, oh, wow, that's really spiked my sugar. Wow, that, that is interesting. So you will get instant information as to how your body responds to certain things. And you can then keep them in or take them out of your diet. And so a continuous glucose monitor is a really great tool, I think, to have. Now, is it mandatory? Do all of my clients have this? No. Do you have to have this to reverse your diabetes? No. But you do need some sort of monitoring device, and it's 100% needed if you are on any type of oral medications or insulin so that you can know how to really check those blood sugars, communicate that information to your physician so that you can then plan when to either lower doses or completely discontinue a, a medication. So if you don't have that continuous glucose uh, monitor, then, you know, get a log. Log your eating times and log your foods, just the types, not the quantity. So, you know, I ate beans, I ate bread, I ate chicken, I ate veggies, I ate fruit, and then write down your blood sugars 30 minutes and one hour and two hours after. That will kind of show you where your insulin spikes are because, so say you ate and your pre-lunch glucose was, say, 1.8. You ate and at one hour, it was at 270. And then at uh, hour two, you check it and now your blood sugar is down to 110 and you're feeling jittery and those things. That's because you're having a later insulin surge you're having a hyperdynamic response in your insulin production and it's crashing your blood sugars. And that then makes you feel worse. Then you eat more and the cycle perpetuates itself. And that's how you continue to get insulin resistance because you are secreting more and more of insulin. And many of the medications that you're on are designed to do that. That will then help you to see. So then what you do is you cross-reference that, right? So you take that log and you see, okay, well, I ate these four foods and, you know, my sugar started out at 170, but it only went to 200. And then when it went down, it only went down to like 150, uh, 140. 
which may seem counterintuitive as being a good thing, but if it doesn't induce that sense of hypoglycemia and the need to eat more, that's a win. So you really want to be careful with what you're eating and you really want to log. And again, I don't want you weighing food. I don't want you counting calories. I am just wanting you looking at what foods do what. So it's not a real tough way to uh, go about logging things. And then next, we want you to eliminate all the processed food and the seed oils. Really just eliminate any kind of oil that isn't ghee or coconut oil for the most part. Olive oil I love on salads or after you have finished preparing the food and taking it, taking it off the fire. So if you want to put a little olive oil on your salad and use that for a salad dressing, olive oil and balsamic, yes, go for it. Again, everything in moderation, but, but yes, we would want you to uh, use that. The processed foods and the seed oils really induce that insulin resistance. That processed food is almost always going to have some sort of filler or artificial sugar or some sort of uh, added sugar in it. And so you really want to eliminate all those things. So what do I consider processed food? If it doesn't look like it came out of the ground or off the tree or it never had a life, that's a processed food. So bread would definitely be a processed food. And so when you're thinking about your shopping, you're going to stay around those edges of the grocery store. You're going to be in the produce section. You're going to be in the meat section, uh, a little bit in the dairy section. Again, that's, that is variable depending on the individual and what's going on with their gut. And then the frozen section. So when you are eating, and especially when you're talking about eating vegetables and fruits, never canned, okay? Fresh is best, frozen's next, never canned. Canned, again, is going to have different processing that causes it to lose nutrients and keeps it shelf stable, which is nice. But you don't want to eat canned, especially if you're trying to reverse your diabetes. And then finally, you really need to ed educate yourself on what added sugar is. There's about 30-something names for a sugar, artificial and otherwise, that gets added to our food all the time. And so knowing what those names are are going to be critically important because you need to start reading the backs of the, of the labels. And I'm not talking about the nutrient se section that tells you how many proteins and carbs and fats and all that's in there. What I'm talking about is that paragraph below that that tells you other ingredients. And those are the things that you really want to pay attention to. Basically, good rule of thumb to know if something's processed. If it has more than five ingredients, that's processed. So if it has more than five other ingredients, consider that processed and stay away from it. So next key, weight training. Don't skip leg day, okay? Muscle overcomes insulin resistance. And here's a good quote I, I wanted to read to you is from Dr. Dr. Duru from UCLA. A lot of glucose going into cells goes into muscles, he explains. Muscles that are active and working can take in glucose more easily. That helps lower your blood sugar. Active muscles are also less prone to insulin resistance. 
the the key is muscle mass. So you people that are out there and you're cardio kings and queens, you need to do weights, whether that's body weight or whether that is lifting weights. It just really depends on where you are. And so the three exercises that I have all of my diabetics start with is start with squats, lunges, and planks. So start with body weight, start with a chair, do chair squats if you need to, to start. If your knees and hips are hurting, do very stable lunges between two large pieces of furniture. And then when you start on a plank, start on it at your knees, not all the way out to your toes. And so these will be things that will help to start building those biggest muscles in our body so that you can then overcome that insulin resistance. The reason we want to work uh, core and legs is because those are, those are our biggest muscles in our body. So we're going to get the most benefit out of doing that versus doing a bunch of curls or bench press or, you know, things like that. Really working on those core muscles, particularly the long strap back muscles, and then working those, those leg and butt muscles are really going to allow you to achieve success and lower that insulin resistance. And then you want to heal your gut. You really want to look and find out what your gut biome is like. And so a long way to healing your gut is eliminating the sugar and eliminating those processed foods and seed oils. That's going to go a long way. However, I generally recommend that you have a GI map. Uh, a GI map will tell you exactly what that microbiome is. And if you don't have one of the particular essential bacteria, acromansia, within your microbiome, it makes it a little bit more difficult for you to get that benefit that you'll see from eliminating those processed foods and, and seed oils and, and those things. And we can overcome that with some different supplements. But again, I, I think it gives you a lot of good information. And then for a lot of people, they may have H. pylori infection that's going on. H. pylori is going to live in the upper GI tract in your stomach area. When you have a bad process at the start of a process, guess what? Everything downstream from that is going to have problems. And so if H. pylori is living in your stomach and it's causing disruption to the digestion of your food, and how those particles are escaping the stomach, getting into the small intestine, and eventually through the small intestine into the large intestine, then you're going to have a bad process from the start. So I really recommend getting a GI map. If you can't get a GI map, get stool testing for H. pylori, even if breath testing or blood testing is negative for H. pylori, I recommend that. And then the final tip is going to be fasting. So where I want you to start with this, and again, doing anything more than this really needs to be under the care of a doctor. And even starting at what I'm going to suggest to you today, you may need to talk with your doctor before doing this. You want to eat nothing three hours before bed, want to drink nothing two hours before bed, and then you don't want to eat again until it's been 12 hours after you last ate. So Say you finish your uh, meal at 6 p.m., no snacking or anything else until you go to bed at 10, 
no eating again until at least 6 a.m. This does a couple of things. One, it allows your gut to rest at night, which is needed so that you can heal your, your body. Number two, it's going to help to decrease your waking at night because now you're not going to get late night surges of insulin causing you to have low blood sugar and wake up at night and feel the need to eat. Those are, are going to be things that, that you would need to do. Now, if you are not on any medications at all, then yeah, you can push the fasting. And we're going to have a future episode here shortly that's going to go into a lot more on the do's and don'ts of fasting and the different types of fasts uh, that you can do as well. That wraps it up for, for this session. So I hope that you have enjoyed this. I hope this has been beneficial. If you are a, a diabetic or a pre-diabetic or been told that you had metabolic syndrome or yeah, you're not diabetic, but we need to start you on this metformin here, you are. Okay. So if you want help with that, I really encourage you to, to go to our website and either sign up for a discovery call or you can go straight to our 90 Days to, to Living Life Well page and uh, sign up and become a client and really start getting that education and process moving so that we can get you into remission or reverse that diabetes. I hope this all finds you well, and I pray that you have a great day. Thanks and God bless. That's it for this episode of the Living Life Well Show. If you like what you've heard and want to learn more or want to know how to put this into practice for yourself, go to livelifewellclinic.com. Until next time, this is Dr. John Skelton saying, go out and live the truth so you can live life well. The preceding is for entertainment and educational purposes only. It is not meant to be used to prevent, diagnose, treat, or cure any condition. The information contained in this show does not substitute the need for a qualified medical professional, nor is it meant to provide medical advice or services. If you feel information presented in this show may apply to you, we recommend you seek out the help of a qualified medical professional who can evaluate and treat your specific concerns.